Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was a clip from a protest outside of Pharma headquarters in downtown Washington, D.C. on Monday, as protesters geared up for what's going to be a big week in the fight for Medicare for All. The key group behind Monday's rally was National Nurses United, the nation's largest nursing union that has worked with Bernie Sanders and others on Medicare for All. And you'll hear from their director, Bonnie Castillo, shortly. But first, I wanted to tee up this week's events, which include a historic Tuesday morning hearing on Medicare for All, the first time Congress has held a hearing on these bills, Democrats say. If you listened to our podcast last week, my colleagues and I were largely dismissive of Tuesday's hearing, partly because it's in the Rules Committee, which is not one of the key healthcare committees, and partly because Democrats had not invited any notable witnesses. I think that's changed a, a bit. After we recorded last week's podcast, Democrats invited Adi Barkan to testify on Tuesday morning. You may know Adi because he's an advocate who suffers from ALS and he has dedicated his dying days to fighting for social change. He also appeared on this podcast in late 2017. And his ALS, which was already bad when we recorded that interview, has since advanced further. His appearance at Tuesday's hearing will make it even more dramatic and a must-watch. There are two other big moments that we're watching after Tuesday's hearing. First, Tuesday afternoon, where there will be an event to reintroduce Medicare for America. This is a more gradual approach to coverage expansion, backed by a set of more moderate Democrats, and also supported by groups like the Center for American Progress. And then on Wednesday, the Congressional Budget Office will release its review of single-payer legislative options. Now, to be clear, this is not a CBO score. CBO historically will score different legislation and say that some bills might add 10 million people to the roles of the insured or take away insurance from 10 million people. This is different. It's going to be more of a guidance document, but it will be influential as Democrats and others jockey to set up their legislative solutions to coverage expansion. And now here's my conversation with Bonnie Castillo. Bonnie Castillo, welcome to Politico Pulse Check. Well, thank you. You are executive director of National Nurses United, the largest nurses union in U.S. history, about 150,000 members. I remember when the organization was formed about a decade ago, the combination of three different unions. What are your organization's top health goals right now, and where does Medicare for All fit into that? Well, Medicare for All is right at the top, along with all of our other strong advocacy issues, including our strong advocacy on behalf of our membership. And when I say that, um, our workplace issues are um, obviously primary, along with major health and safety issues. And when I say health and safety issues, these are issues that ensure that we're safe on the job because we understand that if we're not safe on the job, our patients aren't safe. And when you say safe on the job, you're talking about nurse and and workplace violence. Nurses can be targeted. We're talking about workplace violence, um, which is uh, uh, increasing uh, as we speak. And it's it's an issue that actually if you – Um, do the necessary evaluation of every single uh, unit. Um, There's ways to mitigate this and certainly ensure that people um, on the job, whether it be nurses or healthcare workers, are better prepared for um, events, uh, you know, volatile events that are fairly common um, in, in our workplaces. 
you mentioned Medicare for All being at the top of the yes. agenda. That's yes. why you're here in D.C. Absolutely. this week. Mm-hmm. Financing details are, are vague, but the bills advanced by Bernie Sanders and other Medicare for All supporters essentially assume that there will be big price cuts in health care. Those price cuts could trickle down to hospitals, which pay nurses, which could affect your members. You're, you're giving me a critical face. You do well, not agree with that assumption. Well, what, what, what we do know is that we're having to pay more and more. We are bargaining harder and harder. We're literally, in some cases, having to strike for our very own health care because the, sco- the costs are completely uh, off the chart. And so uh, we, while we're paying more and more, we're getting less and less. And what we know is that you know, it's, a, it's a matter of priorities. We, we have a lot of bargaining power at the table, and we'd rather put health care off to the side and know that it's taken care of. And then we can actually bargain for uh, critical issues that nurses care about uh, for themselves and for their patients. So if I'm understanding you, you're saying that health care coverage for all, you don't even want to deal with that. You want that resolved, and then you can deal with other issues. We can deal with other priorities that are so important in the care uh, to provide the best level of care for our patients, but also to ensure that we're safe on the job. What we know is that when we and our families and our patients, what we're seeing with our patients are in such a precarious situations um, with because they don't have health care, that um, providing health care will go a long way to easing their economic burdens as individuals and as a, a family. So it's an economic issue for patients. It's a moral issue. And then it's also just making the workplace uh, more simplified for nurses to then focus on what you see well, as workplace issues. I, would, I mean, simplified would be one way of putting it, but it's also about keeping the workplace focused on what it should be focused on, and that is the care for individuals who are suffering from various uh, illnesses and injuries. When we have the profit motive, what we see is um, essentially the employers trying to cut corners. And when they cut corners, we're not talking about inanimate objects. We're talking about human lives. It's simply not moral to actually leave lives hanging in the balance. We know that we can do better. And what we've seen is that in every other industrialized uh, nation uh, in the world, that they've been able to deliver health care uh, based on human need, have better outcomes, and uh, and we don't think there's anything wrong with us. We actually think we could do it too. I remember the first time I heard about unions growing up. It was the episode of The Simpsons where, okay. where Homer becomes a union leader <laughs> because Lisa needs braces. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know this reference. I'm guessing some listeners might. Mm-hmm. But, but the idea was that dental care wasn't covered by the Homer Simpson's health plan. So he became a union leader to fight for benefits for those, those who are close to him. And, and that's how I thought about unions. Cartoons aside, mm-hmm. union leaders are supposed to argue for their members and, and benefits for their members. I just want to bring it back to the cost of Medicare for all. You're arguing for this bill that Bernie Sanders and others have advanced. There is a good possibility that it will lead to pay cuts in the healthcare industry. Is that responsible for a union leader to argue for? Well, what we know is that we're taking pay cuts now by having to cover more and more costs. Even as healthcare providers, we're actually having to pay more out-of-pocket expenses. And as I said, we don't just advocate for ourselves. We advocate for 
our patients. We advocate for uh, even uh, nurses and workers who are not, who don't have a union. And we know that for them, they even get socked with, you know, much more of the cost. And we see the those that absolutely have no health care whatsoever and how much that costs when they're brought in and they're so much uh, sicker. This system just doesn't make any sense. We're actually, and all of us are the ones that are absorbing um, absorbing that cost. So, you know, I think that really it's important to have a much more broader, thorough assessment. And for nurses, it comes easy because that's the kind of care. When we are taking care of our patients, we are we always have to do a very thorough, broad assessment of the patient's illness, injury, what brought them in. Thinking about the legislation, there's the Bernie Sanders bill that's been advanced, and then in the House, Representative Pramila Jayapal, yes. who, who sat where you are sitting in front of a microphone on this podcast yeah. a few months ago to talk about her efforts. Is there anything in that bill that you would call out, Bonnie, as a significant advance for nurses? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what I will say with uh, Representative uh, Jayapal's bill, it is the most comprehensive bill to date. And what it does um, in particular is it takes the uh, uh, cost incentive out of uh, the sphere of delivery of care. And for us as registered nurses, that we can't have anything come between us and our patient and what we are trained and uh, and develop expertise to deliver. So when nurses go to nursing school, they don't go to become rich. They actually go to be, you know, they actually want to deliver the best possible care to the patient. And they can't do that if there's something trying to incentivize that care. So in other words, if uh, we don't look at uh, penalizing our patients or taking punitive measures, we know that we're engaged in uh, education uh, with our patients, education about their disease process, education about how you know to take care of themselves when they go home, and we know that. But, and I just uh, want to make sure when you when you're talking about getting the cost incentive out of healthcare, I think what you're referencing are the experiments that Medicare is doing on value based care, value based care, right? And, Incentivizing, and you know, the, this is the this, bill. The bill would outlaw those those mandatory correct. experiments. Correct, because it in healthcare. Those models have no place, really. They, and I've heard you know, differently from a lot of folks in healthcare. They say those models are necessary to make the system more efficient to test new ideas. You disagree? Well, efficiencies don't uh, maximize actual care. So efficiencies for who? Is it efficiencies for billing practices to maximize profits? That has nothing to do with care, and in fact, care will suffer. The bill we're, and we're caregivers. The bill also includes nurse to patient ratios. Yes. Pramila Jayapal's bill in the House. I don't believe Bernie Sanders' bill in the Senate includes no, those ratios. But that's something that your group has argued for. Absolutely. Nursing unions have argued for for Absolutely. years. Why are those ratios necessary? Oh, it's so important. In every piece of health and safety legislation that we do, whether it be workplace violence, safe patient handling, uh, uh, staffing ratios, 
staffing, and when I say staffing, um, well-educated, expertly trained staff are key to keeping us all health healthy and safe, right? So um, you can't keep, you can't be safe and healthy without having a team that is expertly trained and prepared and know what to do um, with any given situation, whether that be injuries or illnesses, or in the case of workplace violence, what we see is that there are, we're seeing many more volatile situations. The hospitals are a stressful place anyway. No one likes to be there. And so you can't staff for, uh, you can't staff for what if, it is when. You have to ensure that the hospitals are ready to respond. And that, you know, that is a 24-7 response that we have to be prepared for. That's why safe staffing ratios are key for uh, for patients and, and nurses, all healthcare workers. Hospitals have argued that sometimes having dedicated staff, so for instance, if there need to be five nurses on, on the, the ward at all times, sometimes patient volumes don't require that, and that leads to wasteful spending that gets passed on to patients. You don't agree with that point? Well, I wonder what hospitals those are. I mean, I have to say what we're seeing is hospitals, uh, uh, hospital beds. And this goes back to actually having a profit-driven hospital system. What we've seen is this level of competition where they're actually, we're in an era of mergers and acquisitions. And when there is er this mergers and acquisitions, we're seeing fewer and fewer hospital beds. And so we're inundated with patients. Um, and that's also, you know, nursing is a holistic profession. And so we, uh, when I say holistic, there, um, there is, we work, obviously, we are primarily focused on the patient, but we're also dealing with the family and friends who are around that patient and also require different levels of support. So there's always something to do. And we're always having, we're always forced to cut back on um, different levels, you know, different levels of care, whether it's comfort uh, or more rehabilitative uh, care. And what we're finding, too, is that, you know, cuts in services are, you know, being, uh, is, a, is very, is very, very common. So, um, so staffing, you know, when it comes to staffing and why the staffing ratios make sense is it is the key core for any health and safety protection. You mentioned the mergers and acquisitions, which is a point mm -hmm. that I, I wanted to ask you about, but just taking a step back, mm -hmm. the idea that there are over patients overwhelming beds, I, I thought it was somewhat the contrary, that hospitals have said there's too much inpatient capacity. They've had to cut back on inpatient beds. That's one reason why there are mergers. The core hospital business model is not as successful as it used to be. There are too many beds in the industry that they don't need. That's not what we experience. What we do experience is that the hospitals are pushing patients out before they're ready to be discharged. And they're doing that because hospital care, yes, they complain about how much hospital care costs. They complain about any 
kind of measure that actually forces them to take responsibility for staffing that hospital safely. That's what that's what we experience. They don't want to be regulated on any level. So, uh, you know, for nurses, part of our everyday experience is actually advocating that the patients be kept longer. Um, we understand that they're that you know they they're just simply too sick to be discharged and or do have inadequate um, in-home support services. Uh, there's a lot of there's a trend to shift care to family members who don't have the training, uh, and for the family members who are so emotionally tied to the to the patients, it's a really unfair expectation that they now become uh, a professional caregiver without the you know without training. So. Yeah. Another organization or another sector of healthcare that your union has targeted, pharma, the pharmaceutical yes. lobby. I was there at your rally Big pharma, right. today in Washington, D.C. You were out front of pharma, the lobby headquarters. Mm-hmm. Why target pharma? Why do they need to be an opponent when you are pushing for Medicare for all, which would seem to be more of a health insurance issue? Well, because they're part of this whole uh, conglomerate of healthcare, so to speak. So they they work hand in hand with our hospital associations. And as I said earlier before, whenever we have uh, any health and safety bill, uh, we we see them band together in their opposition. And what we see with big pharma, which is uh, unregulated and has had uncontrolled costs, that it directly impacts our ability to care for patients. Now, how that, you know, in terms of if you want to break that down, it does mean when you have uncontrolled price increases of medications, life-saving medications, where patients are literally uh, left to decide between taking their medication or paying their rent or buying food, and they turn Chances to, are they're not going to take their medication or they're going to cut their medication in half or they're going to, you know, this is this directly impacts all of our health. So you can't really separate it. What we do know is even with a Medicare for all system, what that will do is it'll allow us to have more public uh, clout oversight to really take on big pharma. They are an entity uh, unto themselves that need to be controlled and checked. But when you have a big, large public system, you actually have the chance to take them on. There was a Kaiser Family Foundation poll just last week that said nearly 7 in 10 Americans thought that drug price legislation, legislation to lower the cost of prescription mm-hmm. drugs, that should be top priority. Medicare for all, only about three in 10 Americans said that that should be top priority. Why not just target drug price reform and save Medicare for all for a future scenario where there might be a Democratic president and Democrat-led Senate? Oh, we'll never give up on Medicare for all as a top priority because we understand that it is a systemic fix that will actually allow us to take on big pharma in a much more efficient way. Is it easier to message to your members the idea of Medicare for all versus something wonky around lowering drug prices? Well, we, I mean, our, our, 
members and nurses understand the healthcare system because we see it every single day. I mean, we see the effects of it every single day. And so, um, and nurses have the ability to take on multiple issues. I mean, they're we, good multitaskers. Is, yes. We absolutely do. We, 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 what we do in our workplaces and what we do out there in our communities, you know, we, we actually weigh in on um, uh, pharmaceutical initiatives. We were very active in California on an initiative which didn't pass. You know, it doesn't keep us from um, looking at the righteous uh, proposals and issues that would rein in pharma. But right now, we are very focused on Medicare for All. Now, we have been doing this fight for for decades, and, you know, we've been able to do that and um, also engage in uh, exposing pharma for the uh, the ba- their bad behavior. One one more pharma question. Sure. I think you were the one on stage who encouraged protesters to take the GoFundMe printouts that they had. All of your members had different patients uh, with their GoFundMe stories on, on pieces of paper. I think you encouraged them to take their pieces of paper with GoFundMe and use Band-Aids to stick them into the side mm. of the, the pharma building. I think it was a brilliant idea. I can't take credit for that idea, but, uh, you know, we we have to engage in... Uh, symbolic uh, actions too, and that obviously was very symbolic in that it um, used the Band-Aid, um, to, which was, uh, you know, obviously the point of that was to say that Band-Aid approaches will not get us the kind of relief that we need from the price gouging. And really, the what the pharmaceutical industry is doing is holding us all hostage, right? It's, yeah. Who cleans up that? Stuck uh, the pieces of paper stuck <laughs> to the pharma building. I, you know what? I can get the answer for you on that one. Probably she's right over there, actually. Yes, standing outside, uh, yeah. watching us as we speak. It was... The the last couple questions I had for you, Bonnie, were just sure. about what it means to be leading this union at this moment in organized labor and pressures bearing down on the industry. And I think about organized labor in in a similar context to journalism. I there are stories all the time about the pressures of being a journalist in 2019 right. and all the financial... Massive cuts in that area, too, and organizing happening as well. I mean, I, I've sort of been watching that. It's an exciting time. I'm thrilled to be at the helm because I know that registered nurses are up for this fight. And I know that National Nurses United is, uh, you know, we have been preparing for this. And even though our own existence is under assault. So in other words, our very right to bargain collectively for our patients and ourselves is under assault. We are not afraid. We will not back down to a bully. We actually, for us, uh, and I think that this is related to us being a predominantly female organization, we, like our other sisters in the community, are actually standing up to the bullies, standing up to bullies and saying, you're not going to shut us down. You're not going to deny us our collective voice. And in the healthcare industry, we really are the ones that can tell the truth of what goes on 24-7. Well, organized labor has taken big cuts across Mm. the economy, but healthcare has been a robust area of growth for the U.S. economy. It's grown some unbelievable number of years. It grew every month through the recession. Nurses are now as large a contingent of 
workers in the U.S. economy as they've ever been. So do you feel like there's a special responsibility on your side of organized labor that has been insulated from some of the other pressures? I believe that our uh, strong advocacy is what is critical, and that relates to who we are as a profession. So we have a very strong profession that is science-based, that has, uh, you know, that we all have um, uh, extensive education and training, and that is been that has proven to be what is key to the delivery of the best care. You can't replace it with a robot. We mentioned earlier about 150,000 members in National Nurses United. How do you deploy them to build energy, build enthusiasm for Medicare for All? Well, first, that starts in the workplace. And so for us, workplace democracy and having a voice in the workplace, there's no better training than having nurses come together and collectively work to achieve fairness in the job, achieve, uh, as I said, safety protections for their patients and themselves. That trains them to go beyond the hospital walls. So it starts there. And that's where our primary focus is. But what it has done is it has built an effective, strong base that allows us to be able to advocate for the community at large. Is there something that needs to happen on Medicare for All in the next year, the next year and a half, even before 2021 when a new president could be in the Oval Office? Is there something that you need to see happen? Absolutely. We can't count on any politician. What we have to do is build the movement, build a groundswell that demands and keeps poli- demands of the politicians and keeps them accountable. So one of the things that we say is, uh, and I was speaking to nurses earlier this morning, is that we understand that our healthcare system is in crises. For registered nurses, they run into the crises every day. That's what they do. They're trained to do. What we need is for our politicians, our elected officials, instead of running away or getting sidetracked, they need to run in to the crises and actually Uh, and actually engage in a systemic fix, uh, and a systemic fix that is not radical or, I mean, it's only foreign in the sense that every other industrialized nation has been able to do it, and we're the only ones that hasn't. I mean, we we can do this. There's really nothing wrong with us, and we know this. You know, we have relationships with nurse unions and other countries. We've collaborated with them. We've visited them. We've seen their systems. And we know that we can do it. Last question. Mm-hmm. The presidential election 2020. Mm-hmm. National Nurses United is, is lockstep for Bernie Sanders. Has You're, you're giving me well, a funny yeah, face I, again. <laughs> you, I would never get in front of, as I said, democracy, uh, union democracy is essential for us, and it's a core belief. And so we will be engaged in our electoral process. And uh, and now, I mean, as you know, it's a very big field. And just like we do very thorough assessments of our patients, we have to assess the field. And How far we will, along are you on your assessment? <laughs> well, the questionnaires will be going out, and there's many more questionnaires to send this time. And then also, uh, we will probably uh, be engaged in some uh, interviews as well. So last time, I think it was about around August where we endorse, and it'll probably take a little bit more time, you know, given the many candidates. 
Uh, you, you might have to assign one of your members to every <laughs> one of the candidates. It feels like there are that many. Bonnie Castillo, Executive Director of National Nurses United. Thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you for having me. That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Bonnie Castillo and her team from National Nurses United who accompanied her. I can see how she can organize and motivate people to follow, as well as Mikaela Rodriguez, who produced our show. If you like Pulse Check, you can help us rate or review on your favorite podcast app. Every rating helps us find new listeners. You can find me at ddiamond at politico.com with suggestions for upcoming episodes. There will be a new episode of Politico Pulse Check in your podcast player next week.